What an awesome God that we serve, and it is so good to hear the testimony of each one of you that have shared this morning. It's almost like being in the living room with God, and I love to hear our expressions and our understandings of his word. It delights me to uh, be in this space with you and to hear from you. So thank you for taking these moments to be in open worship, to prepare our hearts and re-prepare our hearts, <laughs> repair our hearts, and to listen to the Lord. Would you pray with me as we proceed? Lord Jesus, it is so good to be in your presence here today, to hear your promptings and the dreams and the visions that you've given us, as well as the insights in your word that that command us, but also love us, that prompt us, but also allow us to ask questions. You give us the option to serve you. And I ask today, Lord, that we would be delighted to serve you. We would choose you above all else, Lord. Thank you for these beautiful moments and may they continue in our hearts and in our minds. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we continue in the series called The Being Challenge, my uh, quick reminder and quick prompt here before we get too far in is this is my prayer is that we would want to be more like Jesus as a result of this gathering together. That's the hope. And so who better to look at than Jesus? If we're supposed to live and learn and love others like Jesus did, then we should look how he did it. The first uh, week, I kind of gave a, a capstone of where we were headed and keystone habits. But the, the second week that we gathered and we started commit, uh, communicating about this more thoroughly, we talked about committing to community and what it means what, for Jesus to commit to community and how he expressed that. And it, it involves us allowing others into our lives and allowing influence of others as well as our influence to grow in more unity and to, to gain in ourselves better qualities, surrounding ourselves that, with people that love Jesus, this commitment to community. And so it delights me to see that we are growing in this fellowship. The second week, we turned more inward. And last week, I felt a nudge to, to sit down a little bit sooner, and I think that each one of us encouraged one another regarding studying Scripture and how Jesus took that as a main priority for himself and how we, as well, need to prioritize Scripture. And so it's with this type of mindset that we go in today, and my hope is that today we will understand prioritizing prayer. Prayer is wonderful, but often we, we have to ask questions of ourselves. We, we can mess it all up and even get things misconstrued. And so I have quite a few verses that I want to encourage us with regarding Scripture. But before we get there, before we talk about these things, I wanted to pause and just do a reality check. 
If we take a pulse of this last week, each one of us comes with different expectations. Maybe you had a week of hard labor and you're a little bit more sore than normal, or maybe you had an emotionally draining week. I don't know and I can't gauge, I can't get my, the pulse of everyone, but if you followed along with the larger society as a nation, perhaps you even looked more worldwide, you recognize that some hot topics that are in our midst are censorship and what does that mean and what are we entering into and what, what does it mean to be, find a reliable source? I think this has been a stirring for years. I'm not saying that this week changed everything, but there are certainly bigger topics in these moments. And then trustworthiness. Is it, how, how hard is it to find out if something is trustworthy? No matter how much research you do, it, it's hard to find valid sources that are trustworthy. And so, with all of that said, we live in this crazy society where options are thrown at us all the time. If you don't like one news station, you switch to another. If you don't like one subscription, you cancel it and you, you find something else. Options are prevalent. No matter how much government takes or gives to us, we still have a lot of options. No matter what you say, when we look around, we have more options nowadays than ever before. And it is, at times, it makes me pause and say, well, I have no excuse for being bored. Did anybody else's parents say, There's no, you can't be bored, that's not allowed? Did anybody else have that rule in your home? There was this, if you ever said you were bored, oh boy, the chores list suddenly got so much larger than I could have ever imagined. My, the dreaded one for me, <laughs> my dad would love that I'm using this illustration because he... I think he secretly enjoyed this job the most. But whenever I complained, he'd say, weed the driveway. And we had our gravel driveway. And it was, you know, as a child, it was 462 miles long. So, but I, it probably wasn't. It, I'm, estimations are different when you're a kid. Um, but I remember just being so full of options, even in those early on days. And perhaps wherever your perspective is, you know that you had options as well. But when we talk about options, we also recognize in our society how important communication is. We know that communication can break down so quickly, but in order for us to advance as a society, we must communicate well. And when, when our communication isn't functional, everything turns to chaos, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a, a, a boss-employee situation, whatever the situation may be, if you're not communicating, you've hit a wall. And a quick example of this, we're not going to go there today, but you can know where it's at. Genesis 11 was one of the most disastrous communication problems that ever will exist in this planet. They decided to build this interpreted building. I don't know what it looked like, but it was to reach the heavens and they wanted to reach the heavens so that everyone would see them and they would be the strongest, best, most amazing people that everyone would admire for miles to come. And God saw their hearts and that they were, they were greedy. They were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping themselves. 
And what did he do? It's now called the Tower of Babel for a reason, but he robbed them of communication. He made everyone change the way they spoke, and languages all changed. Can you imagine how complicated it would be to take orders from someone speaking another language? And then everywhere you turned, someone else was speaking another language. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue? No work would get done and you would abandon the job because who's in charge? What language wins? They're all different, unique, wonderful, beautiful, but yet they sound like Babel when you hear all of these languages combining. And so when I think of this, I think of the breakdown that takes place more on a a personal level. And this makes me laugh because perhaps you're like me and you've ever gotten a text or a phone call and uh, and someone shares their shopping list with you on your way home. Uh, For me, this looks like when my wife will send me a list, a shopping list. Perhaps you've had a friend where they write down some things on a piece of paper and they say, could you pick up these things? And you feel confident. As a guy, I feel confident when I go into the store. I've got my list. I'm going to make this happen. I know exactly what I'm doing. And then I get in there and I start looking at the list because why would you look at it before you go to the store? That wouldn't make any sense at all. And I get there and I look at the list and I go, I have no idea what that is and I don't know where it's at. And if you've ever shopped in Fred Meyer, you know they like to switch things. They just like to move it for no reason at all. I don't know why they do that. When I finally find something, it won't be there next time. But when we were early on in our marriage, there was this really wonderful moment. I'm sure my wife would have a different interpretation of how it went. Uh, When we were early on in our marriage, she said, Keith, could you go to the store and pick up some tortillas? And I said, sure. But as a child, tortillas were not tortillas. They were taco shells. So when I went, and I was very proud because I'm a good husband, I got the taco shells, the hard shell, the crispy, the wonderful ones, brought those home. That doesn't go with what she was making. She was making like enchiladas or something. And she looked at me with that look of what? And who could blame her? She had these ingredients. She was making what she wanted to make, and I wanted tacos, apparently. And it was that breakdown in communication, and it was simply just a different interpretation. Let alone whenever I go to the store, does anybody else have items that you dread when you see them on the list? I don't know what it is about these two items. Cream cheese and sour cream. I don't know why I always confuse the two. I know they taste different. I know that they're different, but whenever one's on the item is on the, the list, I always choose the other. I don't know what it is. It's just this thing in my brain goes misfires. But we have all these breakdowns in society, and it it comes back to communication. And as I read so many of the situations and the problems and. People misquote each other, and then you open a newspaper, and there's one statement that one person said, and that's the only statement that we hear now. And we're judged by a few sentences or a few, a few thoughts. And I even have been pausing quite a bit this week on the thought of prioritizing prayer So how did Jesus pray? How did he do this? First off, what what comes to my mind is the question that the disciples asked of Jesus when they said, teach us to pray. 
They had just heard Jesus teaching and communicating, but they ask him, teach us to pray. We see in Matthew 6, and you've probably memorized it as I did in the King James Version, but sometimes it helps me pause when I read it in other translations. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And there's, we could communicate and spend a lot of time on this passage, and I'd encourage you to do so. If Jesus says, this is how you can pray, this is the great example of how Jesus encouraged us and teaches us to pray. But Jesus did so much more than that. If we really observe the, the life of Jesus, there are dozens and dozens of accounts where Jesus prayed. He prayed alone. He prayed in public. He, it was the first thing he did on some mornings, and maybe all mornings, I don't know. But he prayed into the evening some evenings, late into the night or even all through the night. He prayed before meals he prayed before important decisions, and he prayed before and also after he healed someone. So prayer was a, just like breathing for Jesus. I'm fascinated to see how much Jesus prayed. But I also have been somewhat puzzled, as I'm, I'm hoping that you are puzzled at times too. Why would Jesus pray? If you understand God, the united God, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you recognize that they are three in one, perfect in unity. So why would he need to communicate? Well, I want to look at a few illustrations, a few ideas that will help us see why he prayed. First off, it was for his benefit in his humanness, but he didn't need it in his Godhead. Being God, he didn't need to pray, but he did. That's a, that's a puzzler. That'll stump you. But also, he did it for our benefit. He showed us the perfect example of how we are to, to pray to the Lord. I want to look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, as well as a proverb, uh, chapter 15, verse 8. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Proverbs. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Our prayers are beautiful to the Lord, as you look at 1 John there, those, those two verses at the beginning, we recognize that we get to approach God. We have permission to approach God. We can communicate with, to God with the desires of our heart. And when you grow in relationship with Jesus, you should be praying for things that would please the Lord, that you would produce fruit that pre pleases the Lord. So your prayer life starts to change towards the will of God. 
It's not just a wish list. It's not rubbing some lamp and hoping the genie will help you. These are God's desires. You start to see and have a heart for the lost. You see those that struggle and you say, God, would you use me to please you? You're communicating with the the holy, perfect Father. And it's beautiful. So there's this vision that I want you to see from EFM, Evangelical Friends Mission, uh, that we support many missionaries as a church and as a denomination. uh, And they have a five-year plan that they're going to share with you. And I think this is delightful. I want to be on board with this. I want you to see the heart of EFM as well as know that this this is what we do. This is what we're a part of. So would, would you watch this with me? In 1887, Esther Butler was the first missionary to be sent out by Evangelical Friends of North America. So it's through the efforts of these women that there are today Evangelical Friends in 36 countries on five continents. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and make disciples. For over 130 years we've been doing that as evangelical friends. And we're committed to continuing that legacy through EFM. I used to think that missions was something for our grandparents. You know, sending missionaries and pioneering new fields. I've been amazed to be places in a village where when we talk to people about Jesus, we found out through conversation that they had never heard of Jesus. Like they have never heard of Jesus, and now I recognize a great need to continue to send missionaries and to continue to pioneer new fields. According to the Joshua Project, over 42% of the world's people groups are unreached, waiting for the gospel to be brought to them. We look at our world today and we see how much need there is still for the gospel of Jesus Christ today, and we feel like to stay on mission, we need to send more missionaries. We need to open more new fields. We have to continue to obey God's command to go. We have to continue to send our own sons and daughters, our own brothers and sisters, our own parents to go to the mission field. The FM board has embraced a new strategic goal to send out 10 new missionary households to launch five new fields in the next five years. Would you partner with EFM in launching five new fields in the next five years? We're looking for at least 10 new missionaries to join EFM in our goal. God uses all kinds of people to be missionaries. There's no one size fits all. There's no one particular gift set that God uses to be missionaries. And so it's possible that you, right now, maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. We're looking for families. We're looking for single men. We're looking for single women. We're looking for those who God has called to join us. We as an EFM board need you and your churches to partner with us to reach this goal. What excites me the most is that there's gonna be more disciples of Jesus who come to know him, whose eternities are changed. watch that and we'll, you can watch it again if you feel so led and you want the information we can send this to you but um, 
I want to put these nudges out there because I don't want to ever um, say that it has to all be just here. We do a lot of good work for the kingdom here, right in, in this community, uh, but I also don't want us to forget uh, the other great aspects that we're a part of. So um, as I've been praying and I thought, you know what, I want people to hear this five-year plan. I want people to start praying alongside it and perhaps if they feel so led. Um, I'd love to be a part of ascending uh, and sending people to such a field. How delightful would that be to see that we are ascending church. Um, So if you feel so led, speak with us and let's join in the, the worldwide mission as well as the local mission. What I wanted to do is I wanted to share a couple of thoughts and, and points today that I think redirect us and help us see how Jesus prayed as we continue to learn from him and observe and be encouraged by him. There are, there are many verses that I could have chosen, but I wanted to pick two real quickly. Mark 1, 35, as well as Luke five sixteen. starting in Mark. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Perhaps you should read these, the context of these. But Jesus didn't have some, uh, I'm going to bed early because I'm getting up to pray tomorrow morning. He stayed up late, ministering to people, and then he got up early to go spend time with the Lord. Uh, So Jesus had tough nights too. He had beautiful, wonderful nights that were exhausting, and he still went out. Let's look at another illustration from Mark 5. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Do you catch that? Often, wilderness, prayer. Why did Jesus do this? He wanted his disciples to see that he was consistently, often getting away to spend time with the Father. We don't have those prayers recorded. He was connecting with his Father, asking for encouragement, asking to stay on task to save all people. Because he was human, he was tired, he was weak, but he was also fully God and he knew he needed to be united with the Lord. I wanted to read a quote from Greg McCown. It says, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. Priority is the word. It was singular. It meant the very first and prior thing. It stayed singular until the 1900s. 500 years it remained singular. When we, I don't know who we is, but I'll blame myself, we pluralized the term and started talking about priorities. Consider that. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. People and companies routinely try to do just that. They talk about priority number one, priority number two, priority number three, and so on. This gives the the impression of many things being the priority, but actually means nothing is. So when I ask of you today, and we've talked about the options and things we have, but when I talk about prioritizing prayer, 
This isn't, oh, I'll put this as number one alongside all of my other number ones. This is prioritizing, first and foremost, your relationship with God, communication with God, before you make decisions, before you look at your phone, before you get going in the day, before you do anything, do you talk with the Lord? Is it your priority? The second illustration. Jesus prayed for his and our benefit. When we look at Luke 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can read the story in Luke 22 and, and see um, how he spent time pleading with the Father, asking the disciples to stay up and pray. They were tired. Jesus didn't have a light schedule. There wasn't a light time where people weren't hounding him and always pressing in, and they had to go and find a place to pray. But Jesus knew that his time was coming, and he, he was agonizing over the pain that was about to begin. He was also agonizing that he knew that he would be taking on the sins of the world on himself. And he asks for the cup of suffering to be taken, yet not his humanness will, but God the Father's will to be done. Do you capture that? He is not asking for this to be taken just so that he won't have to physically suffer. He knows that he will suffer. And he could have commanded the angels to come and rescue him from that moment, but yet he said, not my will, but yours, God. This God's plan in this moment was to send his son so that his son could pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus was so in tune with this plan, he knew the plan from the very beginning that he would send himself to rescue us. So he is fulfilling the will of God that only he can do. Jesus also, in the next illustration, he prayed for direction. How many of you, and I want you to take a moment here, um, have ever gotten really, really lost where you just didn't have a clue how to even turn around and go the right direction? I'm directionally challenged, so I can raise my hand as high as anyone. I, I never, and then I walk in here, and this building really throws me off. I finally figured out a lot of the things, but we're really bad at, at giving directions to one another. It's one of the most comical things in society. If you want to be really confused, try to give me directions to get somewhere, because I'll nod like good Americans do, but I don't know what you're saying. It sounds like another language to me. I just get lost. That's, it's unfortunate. I want to do better, but I get lost. And in today's society, it's a lot easier because I can plug something into my phone and off I go. I follow that phone, sometimes getting lost with the phone, but at least I've got a direction. Well, there, I want to do, a, even if you want to comment online or perhaps you just want to shout out your answer here, it's totally fine. Uh, but I want to know what 
uh, device or what app you use or even if you use the printed map. So does anyone use Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze or a printed map? I just want to know. Shout them out. What do you use? Waze? Google Maps? Google? Is there any other? Apple? Okay. And so you could probably, as you're commenting, you're probably pretty passionate because you've, you've been relying on that one for so long. And you don't see anybody in their car anymore with just the map that it, they were so big. Does anybody remember these maps that would fill the whole dashboard? I remember my mom and dad, my mom trying to fold that thing and trying to get what she needed and, and then the road construction would happen. Disaster, right? Thankfully, now we have an encouraging voice in our phone that says, rerouting. Basically, it means you're lost. Rerouting, rerouting. It likes to encourage you that they'll get you there eventually. Well, there was a woman that got really, really lost. She she lived in Europe, and she she needed to get, um, to pick up her, she lived in Belgium, and she needed to pick up her friend in Brussels, which is a 90-mile trip. It was supposed to take two hours. She put the address in her phone, and she went the wrong direction. If you're not up on your European nation driving routes, I am not, so I would get lost too. <laughs> that's, that's irrelevant. That happens everywhere, so it doesn't matter what country I'm in. Uh, but she pulled out her phone, and over the course of two gas fill-ups and taking a nap because she just was so exhausted, she ended up 900 miles south but she put in just a little bit of wrong information. You know how sometimes when you put in a street address and it guesses the city? Has anybody ever had this happen and you click the wrong one? Whoa, that's a lot longer than (laughs) I was expecting to go today. Well, this happened to this poor lady. And I wonder for you today if as you hear this, you wonder, am I going in the right direction with my life? See, Jesus prayed for direction. He, as we look at scripture and we, we recognize he had some pressing, difficult things that were put upon him that would, would just overwhelm us. And as, as you hear these illustrations of people going in the wrong direction, perhaps you have these similar questions. God, am I, am I going the right way? Am I following you, God? Or what am I supposed to do here? Perhaps you have these daunting options and questions in front of you. But yet, what does the world try to convince you of? It tries to tell us to fo- follow blindly the world. Follow blindly what other people are doing. And seriously, do we consider where the world is headed? If you follow the way that the world tells you to do different things, think of these, consider these um, facts. I'm going to give you five. Evite says that the average American has, made, has, has not made a new friend in the last five years. So if this room is true, the average one of us has not made a new friend in five years. Sigma says 61% of Americans are lonely, and this was pre-COVID, 61%. of people are in serious debt, according to Northwest Mutual. Serious debt meaning more than $20,000. Career Builder tells us that 78% of the people in the United States are living paycheck to paycheck. 
And one of the biggest ones that's probably on most of our minds is half of marriages in, this, in the United States end in divorce. We're the sixth worst country in the world when it comes to divorce. So if we're following the world, means we're lonely. We're not making new friends. We're in serious debt. You're living paycheck to paycheck, and your marriage is in trouble. So do we really want to follow the world? Or is there perhaps a different way that God is calling us towards? And I'm not, I don't want to belittle any of those, because each of those situations, if those have happened to you, I don't want you to feel judged. But what Jesus offers is a better way. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It's not going to fix everything right away. But it is going to give you a reliable source that cares for you. The God that loved you and created you in your mother's womb. The one who knows you intimately and knows those doubts, knows those concerns, knows those problems. He cares for you. So chasing the things of this world ends in those stats that I shared. So what did Jesus do? You saw that I had a passage, James 1, 5 through 8, but I want us to hear it today. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. Now for an example from Jesus' life. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. There is an illustration here that I want us to see and hear. And Luke 6 says, One day, Jesus, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be the apostles. Do we recognize what Jesus' decision Jesus had to make in those moments? He was choosing the 12 disciples that would be his core inner group, that would get to know him, would get to see him, and he would ultimately send them out. And from that selection process, he was choosing those that would bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And he spent the whole night praying over them. This was a serious decision. Jesus loved you and I so much that he took the time to pray specifically for guidance, for encouragement. And I wonder, how often do you spend time saying, God, I, I don't know how to make this decision. I'm going to leave it to you. Guide me in these moments. It's okay to not know the answer. That's actually a fulfillment of our prayers miraculous intervention where the Lord enters in and does only what the Lord can do. Why else are we praying? If we can do it in our humanness, then we just do it. But if it's something that we can't ever do and we would never be able to fix on our own, then that's what we should be praying for. Are your prayers real tame and mild prayers? Thanks for the food. 
Thanks for my nice house. Help my headache to go away. Are your prayers leading you to a deeper faith so when your prayers are answered by the Lord, you will stand back and say, that was God. So do do our prayers need to be thought through a little bit more? Do we need to be more passionate and excited as we read God's word and what God is up to? that he can do and fulfill miracles right here in our midst, that he can fulfill what his scriptures say right here today. I hope your prayer life, the priority of prayer is first and foremost and that it truly does change everything. If God answered every prayer that you prayed last week, what would be different? If God answered your big, crazy, God-sized prayers, would it change anything? I'd ask that you consider praying bigger and praying to the God who is sovereign over all, who is everywhere, all-powerful, and all-knowing, and you come to the Father and say, Lord, I have some specific things that I want to be a part of. I want to glorify you, but would you intervene? Would you bring your miracles, Lord? That's the kind of priorities that I hope priority that I hope that we have here today. (laughs) I don't want to pluralize it. I want you to hear my heart, and there's a vision statement that I want to put up there for you today. We have a lot of vision statements, but this one has been causing me to pause quite a bit this week. All of them start with we see, but it says an intergenerational community that draws more and more people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray this for myself, but I also pray that we would continue to see momentum and growth and that people would start connecting with one another and we'd see God move in a mighty way that this community would be reached and there would be such a move of God that we would, and when people say, what was your formula? What was happening? What were you doing? We say, we prayed. And we believed that God was going to intercede on our behalf and he was going to do some miraculous things. And people start coming out of everywhere. Can you imagine, can you believe with me that if we would pray such prayers and ask that the Lord would find us faithful and answer these prayers, that we would all stand and shout and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow Praise him, his people here below, that he would receive all the glory. And we wouldn't point towards man or woman. We would point towards God and say, it was all God. And then we sit down and we just sit back in his glory. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we pray that you would help us to believe in miracles through your son, Jesus that you would grow the faith within us, that it wouldn't just be a mustard seed, that it would grow into a full-blooming tree of life, 
that can withstand the storms, that can house birds, that we can do mighty things for your glory and that we would be seen as faithful. You would begin to move in our midst and we would say, God be praised. God is on the move. We are seeing lives transformed. We are seeing new people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we would just keep praising you, God. Would you move in such a way all around the community today, in churches all across this city, across this area, across this state, that there would be such a rise of God that the prayers and the praise would rise to you, Lord, and you would be delighted to continually bless, to continually send more, and transform hearts and heal people in only ways that you can. Would you restore marriages Would you heal our brokenness? Would you get rid of our bitterness? That we would delight in your word and your work being done. Thank you, Lord, that we can read your words. We can be inspired. We can be challenged. We can be prompted and help us to believe that the priority is prayer. It is not secondary to spend time with you, God. It is first. Help us to believe, help us to pause, and now wait for you to move. Help us to listen, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.